Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war decided to chat today with a lot of vulnerability sort of on my heart and on my mind, talking about something that's affecting me super personally right now. It's a little bit of a shift away from things that I normally talk about on the show. It's not vaccine related. It's not really politics. I do think that it it hits home on some of our healthcare issues, but it's definitely a culture issue. And it is very, very present in my life right now. And I think it's fair to say that probably some of you listening are either going through the same sort of season or have been in this season before. And there's probably a chance that you will be in this season in the future. And that season is what happens when you are an adult child and you have an adult parent who starts to demonstrate that there's maybe some things going on in their life, either mental health or physical health or their physical environment that are making you nervous. And you start to question how much you should perhaps intervene. And it also sort of makes me look at this outside of myself and my own personal situation that's going on, but also look at it from a societal issue here in the U.S. I think amongst the cultures of the world and those that, of course, I know only from observance, right? I've never lived in another country. I have certainly friends from other countries and I've visited other countries. So I've had small little tastes. And then, of course, just through the educational process, you learn about uh, different cultures. But here in the United States, we definitely do not have a... I would say a system in place or a, a a way in which we go about caring for our parents or our elderly. You know, I look at other cultures, like you look at the Japanese, you look at some other Asian cultures. I think there's plenty of uh, Latino cultures, uh, South American, other, other places, definitely Europe where it's not only the norm, it's this almost beautiful expectation that as our parents get older, we care for them. We care for them in the same manner that they cared for us growing up. And I have some thoughts about why this is. I think maybe the United States is a country in which kids tend to leave 
again, not having ever lived anywhere else around the world, I don't know if this is commonplace, but I feel like here in the U.S., you know, we grow up in one town, we maybe go away to college. Once we sort of get that first taste of freedom, we see new things, we meet new people, we have these experiences sort of out and away from the watchful eye of our parents. I think that sort of breeds something in us to where we go, okay, I can I can live away. I can do this on my own. I can succeed. I can you know, thrive in this other environment. And so maybe that lends itself to moving away from our parents, our hometown and putting down roots elsewhere. I know that that's exactly what happened for me personally. It's also what happened for my sister. Now, that being said, you know, we have cousins in our hometown and aunts and uncles and and even in our home state, you know, hours apart but she and I are now, she's about six and a half hours away from my mom. I'm a plane ride away from my mom. Uh, I'm a little closer to my dad. He's here in Arizona with my stepmom. Um, and, you know, my sister's now a plane ride from my dad. So we're kind of split, right? Like I'm closer to my dad. She's up closer to where my mom is, but we're still away. We still couldn't just you know, be there in a couple of minutes, or it's not just a quick drive across town. It's certainly not your neighbor. And I feel like that's pretty commonplace in the United States, maybe even encouraged a little bit. I know that I sort of look back and think there is no way on earth I could still be living in my hometown there's no way. Now, if my mom or my dad wanted to move someplace else and we all, you know, maybe have a mini little commune or a family farm or something like that, sure. In my hometown, absolutely not. There's no way. I couldn't do it. I'm just, I have way, way, way outgrown that location, the politics, the atmosphere, almost everything about it, except for college athletics, I would say I have outgrown. But I also think that Americans by nature were selfish. We want what we want. We also want instant gratification. And we also sort of have this weird societal pressure of getting a job, having a career, starting a family, doing all of these things, living this, you know, Instagram life and going here and doing this. And none of that revolves around future planning for your parents. It's always sort of be as independent as you can, make what you can make out of your own individual life. And, you know, if you get around to bringing the grandkids home at holidays, you know, that'll be great. Oh, can grandma come and stay with you and see the grandkids for a couple weeks in the summer? Sure. We don't have this sort of idea maybe even foreshadowing or maybe just because we are so selfish that we don't want to have to plan something for the future that maybe feels invasive, that feels like it could be a disruption to what we personally have going on. And as I am sort of walking through this particular season of my life with my mom, I 
feel this, I would call it almost a, like a, a, a beautiful obligation. There's, there's no part of me at almost 42 years old that, yes, of course, in the big scheme of things, should my mother need to come and live with me, would it be a disruption? Maybe. I could probably call it that. Is it going to be work? Sure. But there's also this part of me that thinks, gosh, what an incredible blessing that could be. What a beautiful way to spend, you know, how, however many years she has left. And I'll kind of go into maybe what's going on to maybe try to make a stronger connection with some of you that are listening. But I don't feel this sort of strange, I, I don't have any strange thoughts about it or feelings about it. I have more of this, like, I, I'm obligated and I feel okay about that obligation. I feel like it's not only something that I should do, but it would be an absolute honor to take care of either of my parents if that came down to it. If I ever, if they were ever in a place where they needed that. And I don't think it's because of my nursing background. I don't think it's because, you know, uh, of I look at it and go, oh, well, you know, they raised me and they cared for me. No, it's this sort of like, I don't know, maybe this sort of cycle of life type of thing that I've, that I've created in my head. And maybe I've created that to sort of lessen the feelings of a potential burdensome situation, right? Like I've talked to my son about it. We've had really great conversations about what that would potentially look like for our lives. You know, I'm in a relatively new relationship. Like what does that look like? And I care, but at the same time, I don't care. I feel like the bigger picture and what a parent would need and what I could offer and keeping them, I think, under a watchful eye or sort of, maybe it's a control thing too, I guess. Maybe that idea of, I'm going to make sure that things are done. I'm going to make sure that, you know, care is of the utmost and not really like handing that over or relinquishing it. And as our parents get older and what my particular situation is with my mom right now, and this is a pretty vulnerable conversation for me to have. And I'll probably, you, I don't know that you'll hear it, but I'll probably at some points be sort of choking back some emotion and some tears surrounding it. But my mom is definitely demonstrating some neurological memory issues. And I'm not just talking about sort of the regular kind of forgetfulness that people experience. It's, it's beyond that. And having been a nurse for as long as I was and seeing a wide variety of patients and their conditions, I, I, I know what these things look like, right? Whether we have an official or a non-official diagnosis of dementia, it is very, very uh, much like that. 
now she does live independently and she has uh, a, a partner. I will call him that. They are not married, but they've lived together for a number of years. And my sister and I are sort of at this place where we've now had a few pretty significant instances with her where we're getting nervous, right? We're nervous maybe that her partner isn't up to the task of providing her with the structure and the care that she needs. We're also worried that she isn't caring for herself in the way that she needs that she needs to be doing. And it's all coming down to her memory issues. But what I think sometimes people don't understand, and I know that my other families don't, like my extended family, I have some that I feel like get it maybe more than others. And I think that that's because they're in closer proximity and they see my mom more and they talk to her more than maybe some of my other family members do. But along with, I think this memory issue comes a lot of emotional ability. She can be really, really hot and cold. So for an outsider, when you talk to her, it's really easy to just sort of buy into what she's saying, because what she says on a Tuesday might sound great. Oh, she's having an amazing day. Well, if you're me or my sister and you talk to her, you know, Tuesday and she's having an amazing day, and then you talk to her on Wednesday and it is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of what she told the day before. And yet there's real no strong acknowledgement or recollection that it has been a 180 degree turn. The other real hard part is that, you know, she is independent. Her body is functioning. She's in great shape. She has a wonderful little farm that she takes care of these animals and she calls them her critters, right? It is her purpose. It is what at this phase of her life is getting her out of bed in the morning to go and to love on these animals and to care for these animals and do physical labor. I love the fact that she is still, you know, physically strong and healthy. And I talked to her the other day, bless her heart. And she's like, oh, I had to go out to the back fence because a little part of it had fallen down and we couldn't, you know, the cows could get out. So she's, you know, almost 70 years old and she's out fixing a fence. And when she does talk about it in a joyful manner, I know that she does love it. I know that she loves her surroundings. I know that she loves these. She lives in what I call like a barn dominium, right? I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's where you like rehab a barn. And so it's got like living quarters in there, but it's also half the other half, of course, separated from the living quarters, um, has a couple of horse stalls and, you know, some things. So it's just, it's quaint and it's quiet and it's set back in this very, very pristine sort of, postcard-like field and surroundings and a little farm and all of this stuff. So as I watch my mom sort of go through these really what I consider to be significant sort of mental hurdles that we're going through, I also, and in, you know, kind of talking with my sister, we really have to wrestle with do we, do we pluck her from that? Do we kind of encourage her? How much of the conversations do we 
have to say, hey, maybe coming living with Beth in Arizona would be better. Maybe moving to California with my sister would be better. How do we do that without disrupting the little bits of happiness that she has? And really from kind of like an overall safety standpoint, there isn't anything happening that we're like, red flag, we need to do like immediate intervention. And what I will say is that I am sort of bummed out and it goes back to sort of, you know, the, the very start of this show is that my sister and I have had these conversations with one another about our parents until something started happening. There was no proactive dialogue. Now, my dad, on the other other hand, he is very proactive. He's got his, his will done, his all of his documents, his this, that, and everything. I mean, he is that, but that's my dad, right? That's my dad's mentality. He's a very A to Z, methodical, everything planned out, all ducks in a row type of guy. So, even though Brooke and I are, you know, in charge of things, we haven't had any of those conversations. And it's really only been up until now that we're starting to have those conversations about our mom. And I don't know it is about our culture that does that sort of suppresses this, that sort of waits until it feels almost too late. It's like we can plan for everything else in our lives. And then when it comes to this, we are just paralyzed. And the analogy that I would sort of use is when, when you have a child, and I would say that there will probably come a time for my mom and where she is at that it will be very much like having a kid. Like you'll need to give very specific instructions. You'll have to give reminders. You'll have to help find things. Like I can, I can already sort of foreshadow that. But when I was pregnant, I mean, I had everything planned. I had, you know, you you plan the car seat. They're coming home in the hospital. You plan the crib. You have the nursery set up. You decide whether you are going to, you know, breastfeed or bottle feed. You have, you know, plans. Are you going to have an in-home nanny? Are you going to send to daycare, public school, private school, homeschool? Like all of these things you have a pretty darn good idea about when you have a baby. And it doesn't take that much really kind of work. I mean, you sit down with your with your spouse and you say, hey, what's our plan look like? And sure, maybe that plan changes. And I get it that those plans can always change. But there are conversations that are had and it seems natural and normal to be sort of preparing for whatever the next phase is in your child's life. Yet somehow we skip to adulthood and we completely ignore the fact that we 
are probably going to have to do this for other people in our lives, specifically our parents. And now maybe there are also enough people out there. And, you know, if this is your, your situation, my heart goes out to you where you didn't have a parent who is very involved in your life. And so maybe it's never something that you think that you would do. Well, no, my, my mom was not an A plus mom. Why would I do that for her? Or, you know, my dad wasn't in the picture or whatever the scenario may be. Maybe there is a sense of, I am not capable, whether that be emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, financially of reciprocating or giving above what I received as a child. And I hear that. I think for me in my situation and a lot of the situations I've had firsthand experience with taking care of people like this in the hospital, it is different. It does feel like this is something that I should have been planning for, that I should have probably talked with my sister about, that I maybe should have talked with my aunts and uncle about, like, hey, this is the plan if. And we just ignore it. We just totally act like either it's never going to happen or we have these really idyllic ideas about our parents getting older and they retire in Boca with their golf carts and, you know, they play cards four nights a week. I don't know. That, I guess, could be another form of the American dream, I guess. But I do find myself now that I am personally in it thinking about what we fail to do as a society to sort of prepare ourselves for that. And then what happens when too late or you miss a step or the sort of entanglement then that you potentially could get yourself into with the medical system. I'm going to step away and take a short little break. We're going to continue chatting about this when I come back, but I am your host, Nurse Beth. You are listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's time and this is what For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, 
you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. The Wellness Company's chief medical board designed every supplement and medical protocol with your health in mind. From groundbreaking supplements like the Spike Support Formula to unique care like Freedom from Big Pharma. Join a healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interest of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be, with a company that shares your values. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back. So in the first half of the show, if you're just tuning in, I was sort of talking about this very interesting season of life that I find myself in. And that is starting the process of figuring out how to go about caring for a parent who is demonstrating some, well, concerning health ailments. And I've been reflecting a lot. I've been sort of going through this for the last few months on literally a day by day, sometimes an hourly by hourly basis with my sister and my mom, just how ill prepared we are as a society to sort of face these challenges. And what that ultimately, I think, is a reflection of of our culture. We aren't typically a culture as Americans that 
sort of care for our our parents or our elderly. I mean, we hear about elder abuse all the time. I am in a lovely group chat with like 30 moms and we are, you know, all different ages, all different phases of life. And, you know, a couple of times in the last couple of years, there's been somebody that pops up that says, Hey, does anybody know of anyone? My mom needs, you know, a caregiver for this, or uh, my mom at this place. And we had to pull her out because it was terrible. We are just so, I think, unprepared. I think it's a really challenging conversation for a lot of people to have, unfortunately. And I don't think that we take a lot of the necessary proactive steps to, I guess, just be prepared. And I think there's also maybe a little bit of a stigma surrounding it. I touched on really briefly in the first half of the show of maybe we just have this idea that our parents like they work, they raise us, they retire, and then they, you know, they, they buy a boat and, or they're at the lake house or, you know, their, their retirement or their, you know, those sort of elderly years aren't really our years, right? They've worked hard. They deserve this. They're going to go off and kind of do their thing. And that might be some of it. I get it. That totally might be some of where our brains go. But I think just in general, we typically are not a culture that experiences that. So some things that I think, because I'm in this season and now I feel like I need to talk about it. And if anyone else is sort of going through this or you've been through it, like I would love for you to email in and tell me all the tips and tricks, how you handled it, what you did, because I could use all the advice and, and of course the encouragement that people would be willing to share. But if you're in kind of where I'm at, or you see this maybe as foreshadowing, some things that I have learned along the way that I think is super important and that everybody should do. And that's first and foremost, advanced directives. So there is a lot, I think, of confusion around advanced directives, meaning like a living will and a medical power of attorney. And I've already gotten to very heated conversations with family members surrounding this due to miscommunications and misunderstandings about really what it is. But, you know, of course your advanced directives, like what do you want done if in the event of, right? Like I mentioned, my mom is in pretty darn good physical health. I mean, she is tending to farm animals She's gardening. She's doing a lot of, you know, physical work around their their home. She keeps house clean, all of these types of things. So I'm not so much worried about her physical state, although I do think that her mental and her memory and just some things that we're seeing there are impacting her physical state a little bit, um, just in the fact of like rest and maybe proper nutrition, things of that nature. But if something were to happen, let's say a fall or a heart attack or a bump of a head or, you know, anything like that, that, that could warrant, you know, intervention, those things need to be set. It's not my job to decide what 
you know, I want for my mom, she should decide that if she goes into the hospital and she wants to be a DNR, which is a do not resuscitate. That means if she has cardiac arrest, that's, that's it. That's the decision. There's no chest compressions. There's no medications. There's no defibrillation. Like it's just a done deal. And then there are some people that want to be a full code, meaning I want everything done. I want all, all the chest compressions you can give me. I want all the medications. I want everything. And I think in conjunction to us being a society that really doesn't like to talk about sort of death, um, we also don't like to talk about elder planning and taking care of our parents who are eventually going to die. You know, we don't, we don't talk about this. It becomes very taboo and I'm learning the hard way. And I don't want you all to learn the hard way. I actually have a very dear friend who is one of four daughters. So mom and dad, and then four girls and literally for Christmas one year. And I think that this is the best idea ever, like ever in the history of ideas. (laughs) Um, They all sat down and they all did their advanced directives and assigned medical powers of attorney for everyone. And that was sort of like their, it was almost like a Christmas gift to each other. Like, Hey, you're never going to be in a position to worry about what I want done or what I don't want done. Here it is. I've spelled it out. Please respect these wishes, right? Do you want to be buried or cremated? Like very basic things. And I am now at a place where I'm encouraging everyone to do that, especially with their parents. And before parents get to a place where maybe there are some cognitive (laughs) demonstrations where you're like, ooh, I don't know, can they make the decision for themselves? What does that look like after the fact? Do I want to know in my heart that I made the decision for a parent that they would have wanted me to make? Of course. I don't want that sort of pressure. I want to know from the horse's mouth what they want done, what they don't want done, what their wishes are. The other thing that I would encourage everyone to do, and it does, it is a little bit different by state. So you can typically go onto your state website. So um, like here it's Arizona.gov and you can download forms and you can print them off and they are very simple. They are very basic and you can simply take them to a notary. So take them to your bank, get them notarized and they're an official document. The other thing that I encourage people is to have a medical power of attorney. And now I think a lot of confusion in that medical power of attorney comes in where, you know, let's say for example, I become my mother's medical power of attorney. That doesn't mean anything until she cannot make decisions for herself. So, you know, the, the kind of heated conversations that I got in with some family members was, well, you don't need to be her medical power of attorney because she can still, you know, make decisions for herself. Or there was maybe some underlying, you know, thoughts that there could be, I don't, I don't know what the thoughts would be other than pure intentions, but a lot of times I think people think that, 
oh my gosh, now this person just has full say over me. And that's not, that's not true at all. I do know in the state of Arizona, you do need a separate power of attorney for mental health. So they separate those out. Mental health, um, healthcare power of attorney, and then a medical power of attorney is more so for like anything of your, you know, physical health, not necessarily like a psychiatric or a, in, in either acute or a chronic um, like mental health um, issue that might transpire. As a nurse, I've seen it time and time again, where you have a medical power of attorney and things run incredibly smooth and you have somebody there advocating for you. You have somebody that can step in and make those decisions. Again, the decisions based off of what you've already discussed are your wishes and are the things that you want to have happen for yourself if you are in you know, an incapacitated situation. But it is incredibly important to assign somebody that you know is going to carry out your wishes. You know, my girlfriends and I who are nurses, we joke about that all the time. And it's it's a joke, but it's actually not a joke. Like we're half, we're we're only half joking, right? Of like, hey, we really should be one another's medical power of attorneys. Because we see what happens in the hospital and we see things that we don't want done. And we see things that, you know, maybe don't get done that should be done. So this sort of idea of your tried and true advocate, who's going to step in and be there to advocate for you when you need it most. So two two pieces of advice. Um, you know, the first is the, the, the medical power of attorney, the, the second or the, I guess, reverse advanced directives, and then your medical power of attorney just to get those things, you know, in line. The third, I would say, and again, depending on your relationship with your parents, but I would say some sort of, you know, documentation or something for bank accounts. I am concerned. I have absolutely no idea what my mom's financial situation is. And I do have some concerns that it, you know, isn't being managed properly, that maybe she's not handling it, you know, not necessarily the way that I would, but no, I guess I'm just, I just have some concerns. And I should say for anyone that's listening, that's maybe, I don't know, uh, wondering why we just don't go in and kind of just steamroll our way in or, um, you know, why it might sound like I'm sort of tiptoeing around the subject or intervening. And I think that it's, I think that it's just because it's so delicate. And again, because she is a grown woman, she's an adult and you know, I'm, I'm keeping a very, very close eye on safety and, you know, other, other health aspects for her. And I also worry about what would her mental health state be if I did, you know, do something that she deemed to be dramatic or drastic or sort of an upheaval to her life and to her existence. 
And I guess maybe I'm being selfish when I say, I don't know that I could live potentially with that guilt. I don't want my mom to be mad at me. I don't want my mom to be frustrated that I did something that I viewed as good for her. And maybe she doesn't have that same perspective for whatever reason, whether it be her mental health or whether it be because that's just not the lens in which she was able to see it through. Oof, that feels super heavy. And I don't know if I want that. So instead, I'm sort of keeping myself in her back pocket, if you will, (laughs) just being very, very aware, lots of touch bases, you know, kind of going back and trying to get things established now that I maybe should have done a while ago, but I'm sort of making up for lost time. And the financial one is something that I am... I'm working on. And again, that is that is going to be another like touchy conversation. Imagine if you're, you know, a parent and your child comes and says, oh, by the way, I think I need to be on your bank accounts. Like, what? Are you going to be insulted? Are you going to think that your kids are trying to steal money from you? Are you, I mean, there's probably dozens of thoughts in your head that you know, would start spinning and swirling around as to why you wouldn't want that. And again, this is all very dependent on that parent-child relationship. Is there trust? Is there responsibility? Is there, you know, things been copacetic? Like, what does that look like? But I know ultimately, this is probably another step that my sister and I are going to have to figure out how to manage. We're going to have to figure that out on her behalf, not for us, but on her behalf. And kind of tying all of this into the unfortunate, I think, I think it's very closely related to our healthcare system and the breakdowns that have happened amongst that. My sister hasn't really, I mean, she's, she's been in the hospital, actually. She's had, uh, she had kind of a traumatic life event um, in her early teens that required um, a major surgery and, and hospitalization and things of that nature. But Uh, So a different perspective than what I have of having been a nurse and at the bedside and dealing with, you know, nurses, doctors, uh, case managers, social workers, things of that nature. I'm progressively watching it get sort of, I don't know, maybe, maybe less and less like human and more robotic and more just about does someone qualify versus, you know, this is a human and we should be taking care of them sort of mentality. But, you know, my sister lovingly, and I think like ignorance, not, not willful ignorance, but just literally not knowing how it works I mean, she's thrown things out there like, oh, well, what if we could get like a social worker or a case manager? And I just am like, bless your heart. That's just 
not in the realm of possibilities. You know, if my mom were to fall and break a hip and she went into the hospital, is it operable? Is it not? Okay. We have two choices there. Does she go to rehab? Does she, I mean, it's like literally just move somebody through, you know, sort of the, the, the motions and get them from point A to point B to point C. And that's just routine. It's just cog on the wheel. And a huge frustration for me is starting to look at, I started to do some research on, okay, if, if my mom gets to the place where she needs one-on-one care, if she doesn't want to come and live with me, if she doesn't want to live with my sister, okay, maybe I move her to Arizona and maybe I look at a you know, independent living, but like a memory unit place. Okay. So I started looking at those. We're talking about $4,000 a month to start, to start. This is for like a studio apartment, your meals, you know, whatever, maybe activities they do, you know, throughout the day. And I was looking at all of these places just so furious. Like I was angry for a few different reasons. Number one, because I was, I was in this place. I was emotional. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is my life now. Like I'm having to do this for my mom. It's sad. It's frustrating. But then I also felt like these people just have us by the throats. They're really, our our culture has played a part. The way we treat our elderly has played a part. This expectation of I can't disrupt my own life plays a part. Like our selfishness, our personal greed, our inability to financially plan for the future. We can set up a college fund for our kids, but we can't set aside any money to potentially take care of our parents later down the road. Like it's not our, like we just automatically assume it's not our job. So all of these things are literally like swirling, just punching me in the face left and right as I'm scrolling down this list of memory care places in Arizona that are thousands of dollars a month. And again, this goes back to finances. I don't know if my mom can afford that. Do I want my mom to be able to afford that? I mean, maybe, or would I rather, if my mom can afford $4,000 a month, would I rather have her buy a home and have a mortgage? Like, I don't know, but $4,000 to be then in, in, in a place, not even with your family, not even with a loved one with really strangers that are taking care of you. Wild. It was such a eye-opening experience and such a gut check on this like, ooh, I better get it together and I better have a very serious conversation with my sister and we'd better, you know, start, start moving on some things. 
Now, financially, like, are we as a society, is that even in the realm of our possibility to be planning for college for our kids, planning for our own personal retirement? And now do we have to start, you know, chunking away a little bit here, a little bit there to potentially, you know, need to have that sort of care for our family members? I don't know. I don't know that we are, you know, a society that maybe would explore those options. I mean, especially now, people are barely getting by. It's been the last, you know, three years of literally living paycheck to paycheck for a lot of people. My hope is that in me sort of talking about this and sharing this, you know, very real and kind of intense moments that I've been in is that maybe it sparks a conversation with you, your spouse, your children. It might be uncomfortable, but I will tell you it is necessary. It is necessary. Because what's more uncomfortable is being in the position now where you're scrambling or you feel like you're scrambling and you're not sure what the right move is. You don't have the answers. That's a really uncomfortable place to be in for a lot of different reasons. And hopefully the primary reason is because you want to do right by your parents, not out of any other motives or reasonings or rationales other than I love my parents. Hopefully you were raised in an environment where now as an adult, you want to do for them what they did for you. And you want whatever they go through, physical or mental, you want that experience to be as least traumatic for them as possible. And hopefully for you as well. I'm trying to selfishly minimize, you know, carrying any additional trauma on top of what I've already got. But I think having had a proactive conversation and having had maybe even the courage to talk to my parents about this and to have a plan in place would feel now like, okay, I know what to do. I have the confidence to do this. I have the confidence to do this for them. Had the confidence to do this for myself, you know, working together with my sister, or if you're working with your siblings, or you know, whomever in your family is sort of that direct line for support for you. But sort of laying the foundation and establishing it, you know, early. 
And I'm also hopeful that maybe as what I see as a shift in our society, I do genuinely see that. I see a lot of people sort of turning back, if you will, and maybe looking at simpler times in a sense of, you know, I, I don't maybe need the the gigantic house. I maybe don't need the the huge fancy car. Maybe it is better to keep our family, you know, all together versus kids moving here, there, and everywhere. You know, I almost think about like a little house on the prairie, right? Like, you know, maybe not that simple, but I wouldn't be mad at that. You know, I wouldn't be mad at a family compound. That's for sure. And maybe through this sort of simplification, we also then adopt a new way of looking and treating our older generations. Maybe we really start becoming that culture, just like all these other cultures around the world that don't look at our older parents as a burden. Maybe we kind of soften and we say, okay, yes, this is going to be a challenge. I've faced challenges before. I know I can figure this out. And facing those challenges is a lot easier with a firm foundation and some stepping stones to sort of guide you along that journey. Speaking from experience, I'm having to go backwards and I don't like going backwards. If anybody listening knows me, I do not like going backwards, (laughs) but I have to. So it's been an incredible learning lesson and it's been, it's been a challenge and it's one that I'm trying to face head on. And thanks be to God, I have a sister who's doing an amazing job as well. So that's it. That's sort of my, my vulnerable tale for today. And please, if anybody has any thoughts or sort of shared sentiments, I would love to hear them or any words of advice um, if you too have gone through a similar situation or one that um, sort of sounds, sounds similar. I would, I would love it. I will take all the advice I can get at this stage. So that's all the time we have for today, friends. But remember... We are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. We will advocate and we will stand in the gap for you because we are nurses and this is what we do. I'm your host, Nurse Beth, and you can find me here every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 11 Eastern Standard Time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.com your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. Until next time, be safe, be well, and God bless. Join us weekdays with a different nurse host daily where no topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time and